Welcome to Traumedy, the podcast that helps you transmute your trauma with comedy. I'm your host, Nancy Norton. I'm a comedian. I am not an expert, but I have been through some stuff. Traumedy is not a replacement for trauma therapy, but it will help you get by between sessions. Trauma therapy is amazing. I have done so many <laughs> forms of trauma therapy. I've done EMDR, I've done brain spotting, I've done psychedelic, and you know what? It's all good. And the best thing and the most resourceful and the most accessible thing that I have in my toolbox, as they like to say in the therapy business, what's in your toolbox? What I have in my therapy toolbox is humor, not just any kind of humor. It's therapeutic humor. Don't get stuck. If you can find something to laugh about, just anything, just a little, even around it. It's not always on the nose, sometimes just around it. And laughter creates endogenous morphine, a natural painkiller. It boosts your immunity. Laughter also gets rid of all these toxic stress hormones in your body. You'll be healthier. You'll have less cold sores. Take it from me. <laughs> I, I got it into a trauma trigger and I ended up with a cold sore. Let's not talk about it. All right. This is our pilot episode dedicated to my friend, Heather Callahan, author of A Drop of Rain. Heather is a friend and a trauma survivor and tells her journey of post-traumatic growth. But we're just going to go into her journey a little bit today. And the following episodes this season are going to be mostly stand-up comedians showing you how they play with their pain so that maybe you can learn to play with your pain. Thank you for listening. And this first episode is a little bit heavier than the rest of the season. But I wanted to start off with this because I want to dedicate this first season to Heather Callahan, who survived being attacked by a serial killer. She stayed calm. You'll hear about it. She stayed smart. She was able to stay focused, get a lot of detail that ultimately help the police catch this serial killer. Way to go, Heather. All right, here we go. Heather! Nancy! <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to Traumedy. Let's uh, land here. Ah, do a couple of deep breaths as we get ready. Ah. Welcome, Heather. How are you today? I'm good. It's good to be here. Thanks for your willingness to share your story. The goal, of course, of Traumedy is to help people who are isolated with their trauma, who may be having some avoidant patterns or may just feel like they need a laugh because we're trying to learn how do we laugh with, how do we laugh at something so, so painful or terrifying and how do we, how do we move forward after something traumatic? Right. You right. had one of the most intense traumatic events that I've ever heard. And I'm so impressed that you're sitting here sharing your story. Why don't we just tell our listeners, tell them about it, what to happened start with it. Yeah. So, um, back in 1991, I bought a little bungalow in Washington park in Denver in Washington park for those of you that don't know or aren't familiar, it's this little city neighborhood just uh, south of Denver. It's an idealistic place to live for young people, young couples. Um, I was fortunate to assume a, a VA loan and buy this little tiny house. It was 850 square feet, right? Two bedrooms. And um, lived there with a college roommate who was a really good friend. And we lived there for um, about a year and a half. And I uh, was at a point where I needed some money. 
and trying to figure out a way to pull out some cash. And I uh, realized I had a, a fairly new car and it was paid off. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll uh, sell it and get some money. And what I can do is um, just go and rent or not lease a car, something like that. Right. So I thought, okay, I, I'm equity positive in my car, which is sort of funny. I like the term <laughs> equity positive. <laughs> yeah. We are not toxic positivity. <laughs> so I uh, put an ad in the newspaper to sell my car and that back in 1991 or it was 1993 that I placed the ad in the paper and, um, Back in our day, kids. Yeah, back in our day, there was not, there wasn't, was there the internet? There might've been, it might've been started, but no, it wasn't everybody, nobody knew about it, right? No, that was just the Pentagon. And yeah, just, just the government. And uh, so I placed it on the paper and um, uh, I think after a day or two, I got a call from uh, a man that was looking for a car and um that night I was supposed to go to the Rockies, the Colorado Rockies uh, baseball game. It was their inaugural weekend. It was like a, a four day run. Um, it was a Monday and I was supposed to go to that game, but it was raining and gloomy and I wasn't feeling well. So I thought, no, I'm, I'm just not going to go. The game was canceled anyway. But um, I picked up the phone. He was um, adamant that he wanted to see the car that night. And I thought, okay, well, um, my roommate was still at work and I thought, well, I better let somebody know that somebody's coming over to look at the car. So I went over to my neighbor's house. Oh, that was so great. I want to give a shout out to your intuition right there. Was that from experience or did you have an intuitive I think, hit? Or I think just that's just being a woman <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and being told tell somebody what you're doing, you know, you need to let somebody know that you're meeting with a stranger. It was just sort of one of those things like, oh, I better let somebody know. It was, it was, uh, I'm glad I did it because otherwise oh. I wouldn't be here. Trusting that. Yeah. Trusting that intuition or the training or all of it that you honored it. You didn't just poo poo it. Like sometimes we do sometimes, we go, oh, I'm fine. I'll, but you did. I'm so glad too. I'm so glad you honored your knowing. Yeah. So I, I went over to her house to tell her. And so, um, he said he was going to be like, you know, 45 minutes and I thought, okay, well, um, I went and told her. And so we sat and visited for a while. So I was sitting in her front area and I could, I saw a man walk by the front of her house and up onto my front porch. And I said, oh, well, that must be the guy. I'll be back in five minutes. And she's like, okay, I'll see you in five minutes. And so I left and I walked up to the porch. Um, he was standing there uh, and I said, oh, are you here about the car? And he's like, yes. And I just remember looking at him thinking, oh, God, he doesn't look like the kind of guy who would drive my little Ford. It was a little Ford Escort hatchback. It was a little sporty model, <laughs> you know, yeah. I laugh about it. And but um, something felt a little off. Like some guy, a little off. Okay. But he was, you know, he was, um, you know, he was just, he looked you know, like, uh, he was very clean and very neat. He had jeans on a jacket. He had a baseball cap on, he wore glasses and I'm like, okay, well, I'm like, well, are you looking at this for your wife or your girlfriend? He looked like a kind of guy that would drive a truck, right? Yeah. A carpenter kind of guy. And, 
uh, and here I am making assumptions about somebody, right? And I'm thinking, yeah. oh, Heather, you know, just show them the car. So we walked over to the car. I told them you can look at the car, but we're not going to drive anywhere. So that was my number two safety precaution. Great job, Heather. <laughs> and then, uh, so I sat in the driver's seat. He was in the passenger seat and I talked about the car, the maintenance, you know, the mileage and all that kind of stuff. And, um, I remember him, you know, rubbing the dash with his hands, looking it over and, you know, he had, you know, stocky hands, like carpenter hands. That's what I was thinking. A man that works with his hands. And he, he didn't really talk much. Um, I don't remember him talking much, but he did ask to look at the back hatch. So, um, you know, it didn't have a trunk. It had a hatchback. So we walked to the, we got out of the car, uh, walked to the back hatch. And that's when I popped the trunk open and boom, oh, I got hit in the back of my neck and the base of my skull. Oh. It felt like I got hit with a baseball bat. He didn't say anything. He didn't, there was no noise. But I just remember reaching for my neck uh, and I started screaming and I reached for my neck and I could tell my neck was cut wide open because it was just raw skin, raw, raw in like raw, wet. Do you call it skin? I don't know. It's like flesh, (laughs) flesh. Well, you you got, it was past the flesh, right? That's the point is that you could tell it it was deep and um, so I just held on to my neck and was screaming for my neighbor, screaming her name over and over again. In the meantime, was falling down towards the the pavement of the of the street. And ooh, let's take a short pause. Just take a nice deep breath. Actually, four more times. Just I didn't feel it. I didn't know that until actually later in the hospital when I found out about my wounds. So but I he managed. Yeah, he was just. Repeatedly, repeatedly stabbing me. And I guess this is the blessing of going into like shock. I don't know, but you didn't feel it. Mm-mm. You didn't suffer with the impact on those. You did feel the original. Yeah. I felt the original blow. It yeah. was, it was oh, like somebody just taking a baseball bat and hitting your head. Just to kind of reset, we're not to the traumedy. We're not to the comedy of the trauma yet, obviously. And if you want to hear the details of Heather's story, there will be a bonus series on next season or at the end of this season where you can learn all the details of how she survived and how she helped the police convict this guy. So here we go back to on the streets in Washington Park. So my neighbor heard something outside. So she thought, well, Heather's outside. And she said it sounded like kids were playing, you know, like she could hear something. So probably like high pitched voice. Yeah, because kids they play like that. I know. Sometimes it triggers me to hear kids playing. Like I have to go out and check, make sure that's play. So she came and looked out her front window and she saw me uh, laying in the street and him leaning over me. So she came running to her front door and started screaming my name. uh, And I don't know how, I don't know if she, she wasn't necessarily running towards me, but he stood, stood there. She saw him 
she saw him with the weapon in the hand, her hand or his hand, I'm sorry. And he ran off luckily and didn't attack her because he might've been, I don't know, 20, 25 feet away from her. But she startled so. him enough that he was like, too many variables, whatever. We don't want, right. we don't need so to get he, in his mind. But he took off. He took off. So she came running towards me and I said, go call 911. I'm bleeding. So she ran back in her house, talked to 911, asked him what to do, you know, gave him all the information. What do I do? And they're like, get towels and go put pressure on her wounds. And so she came running back out. It was probably at least five minutes. You'd been there in the street five Laying minutes. in the street, alone. not being able to move. I mean, I was... Yeah, I, it was probably just the trauma. I just couldn't move and and thinking I'm going to die. And that's the part where like my book, A Drop of Rain, um, it was like a, a, a rainy, sleety night. And there was a uh, like a clear finish of water, you know, on the on the pavement. So it was all like a black sheen, but there was a street light shining. So you could see like a circle uh, of white light on the, on the black sheen and, and then the raindrop fell and that's when it dispersed, the rings dispersed and I could say it was like a red tint. Oh. So I knew I was bleeding. You knew that was your blood. Yeah, it was my blood. So that's sort of the significance and there's more behind a drop of rain cause it becomes a, a, a positive too about how you, you heal and move forward. But um, so I knew I was in bad shape. I was keeping a hold of my neck cause I knew that was bad. And, uh, she was, uh, my roommate or, uh, my neighbor was asking me, you know, where are you hurt? Where are you hurt? And I could feel air escaping from my side. Uh, one of the wounds or actually two of the wounds punctured my, my, uh, lung. Oh no. And my lung was filling up with water and sort of pushing the air out. So I could feel flaps, you know, my, the skin flaps sort of moving as the air was oh, pushing out. Oh my gosh. So she basically, and she wanted, and I knew my neck and she wanted to, to put pressure on my neck, but I was really afraid to let go. I ended up letting go and letting her hold me together. And she basically just laid on top of me to keep the pressure on my, on my back. On that- I was laying on my stomach in the in the street. So she, she held, just laying, she um, held pressure on the, on the wounds on my side and she held my, my neck together. And then the police showed up first. And then shortly after that, the ambulance came and they do what they call a scoop and go. And they just picked me up and put me in the ambulance. They don't try to stabilize you or anything like that. Um, Cause they know you're not in good shape. Your trauma is so severe that yeah. every second counts. Oh, they were just like, oh, let's get we her. We got to get her there. Yeah. Time for a mini traumedy break. Scoop and go. Not just for ice cream anymore. So, some sort of like a, like a child's term. I don't know. Play term. Oh, it's play, like, like Play-Doh? Sort of morbid, isn't it? I'm sorry. No, I like it. Oh, don't be sorry for me. It's your life. I don't want to be the one that's going, I'm sorry. Because if I do, this is what we're talking about. The difference between adaptive and maladaptive humor. Adaptive humor brings people closer together and uplifts. <laughs> maladaptive humor is kind of divisive and one person goes down while the other person lifts. That's maladaptive. Okay, so here we go. Oh, that's why so, I was thinking, oh, here's, you have scoop. There it is. You scoop, got this new doll. Is. 
<laughs> oh, here it is. The, to- the, the Heather the, Callahan the Heather doll. Callahan doll. That is. comes in pieces. <laughs> comes in pieces. <laughs> and you Get scoop your it together. <laughs> own scooper to scoop her into the ambulance, your little mini ambulance. <laughs> she comes with an ambulance. Scoop. There she there's is. There's a little gel included. In oh, there's. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. These are accessories that. You, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Digress. Blood, no, I like it. Blood packet. Uh, not, no, wait. Like, oh, hang on. What does it call it? Leaders of blood. What do you call those? Units. Units of blood. Heather Callahan, the scoop and go doll. The, the scoop, scoop and the, go doll. Scoop and go that doll. Doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Comes with an ambulance. She's so a hero. And she she's is a king hero. I'm, yeah. The Heather not? Callahan scoop and go doll. She comes with an ambulance. Units of blood sold separately. For children who want to be doctors when they grow up. Yes. Or for kids that just want to, yeah, children who want to be doctors or Practice kids that need a hero. Like, hey, if she can hold herself together, <laughs> oh, I can handle, I can handle Timmy breaking up with me at recess. <laughs> Back to the story. Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> well, no, I just, it struck yeah, me that yeah. you saved yourself in well, so many go, ways. Well, you know, I've been asked, why do you think you survived? I mean, there's so many reasons why I survived, but one of them too, that I did, you know, that I was responsible for was when I was laying there in the street, I was remaining calm. And, um, I just realized, you know, you need to, you're, I'm bleeding a lot. I've had, you know, CPR and first aid. <laughs> um, I, you know, I'm putting pressure on what I can. And, and also I just decided to be calm about it because um, if I keep my heart rate low, my heart won't pump out as much blood. I won't bleed as much as what I was thinking. So I was like in a meditation, lowering my heart rate, lowering my breathing and just focusing on remaining calm so I could survive. You have this body mind connection from being a, being an athlete. Right. And you were a national athlete and you had done some sports psychology, but you're also very attuned with your own body. Right. That's incredible that you had the wherewithal to just say, I've got to do this and, right. and just, and I guess the practice because of all the times that you've right. been able to do that to get centered maybe before yeah. you were swimmer. Yeah. Well, it's like a lot of professional athletes, basketball players, golfers, swimmers, any kind of sport people, you visualize your events and you visualize what you're going to do and, and you take an inventory of your body how it feels, how the water feels, like I would, how the water feels on your skin, how, um, what, what is your heart rate? What's your breathing? What is, you know, all these things, you know, your, what stroke are you on and how close are you to the wall? You, you visualize everything. And then when, you know, when you actually do the event, you know, you've, you've been running through this mentally for a long time. So it's, it's, uh, it, it helps. And that's what I was sort of trying to do was like visualize what my body was going through and trying to remain calm and not lose control so I could survive. That's incredible mindfulness. And what I want to do just for a second here, because I was thinking about people hearing this, uh, it's a lot, you know, there's this thing, vicarious trauma that we can, you know, people are probably drawn to this podcast because they been alone with their trauma, but we also want to teach our, uh, people if they haven't already learned how to reset 
their parasympathetic nervous system because the sympathetic nervous system is that fight, flight, freeze response. Mm -hmm. And then parasympathetic nervous system is kind of getting back to a state of, of, of relaxation. You know, one of the easiest things to do is just to slow your breath down. So maybe we'll just take a second here. Just do you still get a little re-triggered when you tell that story? Because yes. (laughs) So this is a gift to me and to our listeners that you're willing to go there for the to help others, but it is at your expense. Yeah. I, um, for me, I, I get real tired. Like tonight I'll probably be tired. I'll go to sleep early. Uh, and I'll have like some tense tenseness in my, my shoulders and neck where some of my injuries are. So it does, it, it, it takes a toll. Yeah. It takes a toll. Thank you for being willing. And I know we have recorded uh, many hours. So for people who are listening to this episode, there will be a longer version of my interaction here with Heather, who shares more of the details. And then of course you can get her book, A Drop of Rain is available on Amazon, I'm guessing. Or oh is, yes, Amazon. Yeah. You, you, it's basically you have to order it. But a lot of like independent bookstores now have, you can find them online and order it. So if you don't want to go with the big A word, I'll just, (laughs) well, I love supporting independent bookstores, but so let's just take a minute, take a couple of slow, deep breaths because person I follow on YouTube who teaches four by four breathing where you do one breath in four counts, hold for four counts, exhale for four counts, and then hold the exhale for four counts. All right. Well, that's kind of Probably not great for a podcast to have that much dead (laughs) airtime. You're talking through it. Tune in. Tune in for silence. (laughs) We allow allow space for reset. And also what gargling. There's a whole, I'll probably put a link on this website for parasympathetic nervous system resetting. Homeostasis is the term. Uh, Some people say rest and digest. Like get you back to rest and digest. Okay, we're back to rest and digest. Let's get back to that trauma. (laughs) They scooped you up. No time to wait. There's just every second counts because right. you are bleeding out and you also have a what a sucking chest wound. You have like air is going in and out of your chest, which means your lungs are probably collapsed. Right. So air, your airways compromised, you're losing blood. And so they got you and you're off to the hospital. Off to the hospital. So I was conscious during most of the ambulance ride and it's only about maybe five minutes, especially how fast they drive <laughs> um, from my house to Denver health, which is one of the, you know, a level one trauma center who's been um, nationally recognized and all that for all their good work. But um, so I was on my way and uh, the police officer rode with me. So he was taking a statement from me the whole time. So I'm telling him what the guy looked like, giving him my mom's phone number. You need to call my mom. Um, I'm telling the paramedics what my blood type is, <laughs> telling them where I'm hit. And, you know, I was, I was holding on to my wound. That was when the paramedics told me to shut up because I was talking too much. Like, and I just remember, you know, that part about me wanting to be in control, like to help myself. Right. And at that time, and it's, it's sort of funny that they yelled at me. (laughs) Shut up. And it's, I've heard that before a few times in my life. Shut the hell up. Um, But uh, so I just at that point knew that I was in, you know, expert hands. I need to relinquish control and let them 
help me. So I finally just sort of my whole body just relaxed. Like I went limp kind of thing. Like, okay, it's not up to me anymore. And, uh, so they asked the police officer to hold my neck together while they did all the, all their stuff, putting the IV in, blood pressure, all that stuff, talking to the hospital. And so, um, I was going in and out of consciousness and noticed a big bright light. And I was thinking, Oh no, this is it. Right. You hear about the bright light to people yeah. <laughs> see what they're going to die. And, and I'm like, Heather, just open your eyes, open your eyes, open your eyes. And it, I opened my eyes and it was this big, bright you know, a grid of lights in the ambulance. So I'm like, oh, shoo. You know, oh. like I was thinking, okay, I'm, I'm still here. I'm still here on earth. <laughs> and uh, the last thing I remember about that night were the doors opening to General, the ambulance doors. Um, other than that, I don't remember anything. I guess I was conscious. I was t- not conscious, but talking. I was talking in the ER and I don't know what I was saying, but that part you don't remember. Don't they, remember. They at just all. told you. Yeah, that. they told me that. Actually, it was a friend of mine who's a nurse who was there that night and actually worked on me. And I saw her like a year later after the whole thing. She goes, "Oh my god, that was you." And I'm like, "Yeah." So she didn't know it was me. Oh. And I, yeah. So you were she friends was before telling me I was talking. Huh? You were friends before. Before, yeah, high school. You were friends you in high school. school. And okay. I hadn't seen her in, you know, 10 years or whatever. So um, anyway, so the doctors, uh, there, you know, there's resident doctors there. It's a teaching hospital. And then you have like an attending. The attending wasn't there. They called them in. And the time, um, I guess the whole time they're trying to figure out what to do. They're talking to the attending and he's like, open her belly, open her belly. Because they could, they could hold my neck together to help control the bleeding as long as they held pressure on it, but I continue to lose blood and I, my, I had lost 75% of wow. my, oh my, goodness. my blood volume. You know, in the meantime, they're hooking me up to a blood transfusion and all that kind of stuff. And then they opened my belly and that's when they noticed my liver had been lacerated by one of the, you know, by, by the blade. Yeah. So I was bleeding profusely through my liver and then my neck, those were the two areas that were the most critical. So you're in the OR now. I'm in the OR. Obviously. I'm yeah. in the they OR. Opened you up. They opened me up. Basically, oh, I don't, I don't have to get into the details here. That oh, yeah. happened. Well, There's so many things where I felt like you had a lot of guardian angels yeah, over you. Yeah, that's the part where I... There's so many reasons why I'm here that there's not just one person or, or thing that happened that saved my life. It's just a whole series of, of things. And one of them was that, um, once they, you know, uh, sutured up my liver, I was still bleeding my neck, my artery, my vertebral artery, uh, on my right side was lacerated. So it was completely cut in half and it was up real high around C1, C2. Right. Those right are the cervical the, vertebrae that yeah, would be right. just like two below the base of your skull. Oh, right. Yeah. And um, they had somebody in the operating room with the exact same uh, injury. And they, uh, unfortunately, with the procedure that they did with him, that person passed. They had. They were basically taking, trying to take the bones out to get the to clip off like the bottom part of my artery they could clip it off they clipped it off it's the top part that feeds from your brain down you you can't get to it oh right unless you 
open up your skull or whatever. (laughs) So they didn't know what to do. And so, um, they had that week, they had talked about this case with this other man that died from the same injury and somebody had read in a medical journal to stick a, a, a balloon catheter. It's a, a pulmonary catheter up inside the canal that holds your artery, stick it up there and then inflate the balloon. So the blood has less space to, to move and to and dam it up, to dam it up. So it starts to coagulate, right? The blood will It'll coagulate. Make- so they didn't know if it would work, but they stuck this balloon catheter up. And I guess shortly after that, I started crashing. They didn't think I was going to survive. So they stopped everything. They just sort of clipped me all together. I, my belly was still open. I, um, they just, uh, I was losing blood pressure, body temperature, all the above. And so they just put me aside, put a bunch of warm blankets on me, um, you know, and tried to see if I would, if things would get better. So I don't know exactly how long it took, but um, apparently the balloon catheter and suturing up my liver helped um, and continue Continue to transfuse. Yeah, transfused that um, I started recuperating and um, stabling off. And so the next morning they went back in, you know, did an inventory check of all my stuff (laughs) and- then everything looked fine. So they sutured me up and wheeled me into the ICU. Wow. And so, and thanks to the people who donated the blood and the surgeon who happened to read the journal article and, and remember it and remember it. Talk about it. And and was, yeah, they (laughs) accessed all that. To somebody that told this group of doctors that was working. Oh, cause he wasn't even there. He wasn't even there. But they had been at rounds or something and he brought it up at rounds or who, I don't know, whatever term it is. Somebody said something. And they remember he goes, wait, I just, and I mean, the odds. And then also the fact that I'm sure the fact that you were such an athlete and your heart was so strong and your body was so resilient, just so many reasons that you had done yourself a huge favor by being. And my grandma swears it was barley green. Oh God, see, that's another funny, that's. (laughs) Have you ever heard about barley green? No, tell me about barley green. Oh my God, back in the eighties and nineties. And I don't, you could look at a uh, barley green and it was a, like a supplement and it was this little green pill. Right. Just, and she swore by it and she was just like, I knew <laughs> she gave you that. Cause you were taking barley green. Yeah. Like she would give me bottles of it. It was like, it was her thing. It was her thing. Yeah. You got to have, it, was it sounds like this natural supposed, you know, food, almost like a food supplement kind of thing, or, you know, it's, it's something that's supposed to make you healthier, right? Your, your heart and your blood nourishing you. Yes. And she swore by that, that it was because of barley green, barley green. Oh, if they are still around, I would like to see if they'd be a, will they be a sponsor of Tromedy? Oh, well, when you're in a spot, never, never worry if you're on your barley green. I was at my deathbed and my grandma said, oh, she'll be fine. She's been taking barley green twice a day for a few years now. She is just fine. Shoo, shoo, go away. She's going to be just fine. I love it. So listen, Barley Green, if you're out there, we could use a, a sponsor on the Traumedy Podcast. <laughs> I'm serious though. That I mean, that was beautiful. And here you were on the brink, but your grandma just knew. No, okay. she's going to be fine. She's going to be fine. 
She's a barley lass. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. A barley lass. No more, no lass. Oh, that was fun. That was fun. I love the barley green. I'm into it. We could have a debate. Is it barley green is better than barley green? Is it barley or is it barely? (laughs) (laughs) That's what I was looking for. Thank you. I really love that. I needed that laugh. I did. I mean, honest to God, I just, I'm, I can't tell you how every time I think about you, I'm just like so blown away. And then it's just also like, there's just like, oh, that energy of this, what you went through. She would buy it, pill bottles and hand it out to people. (laughs) Yeah. And I was, I was training for triathlons. So I was running and biking, cycling and swimming and that is, it was like, I, yeah, you I were was, a well-rounded yeah, athlete. Yeah. I was skiing two weeks before and blew out my knee. So that was another, like I cried when I blew my knee out and two weeks later, I'm fighting for my life. It was sort of like put things, relative, in, pers- put yeah, things pers- in perspective. Pers- I don't want to interrupt your process, no. but you were saying earlier about this whole thing about trying not to get competitive with your trauma. Cause I oh, was, I cause I, because re- part of the reason is the only, really it's, the main reason I know about your trauma just, is because I answered the door with a skin flap, you know, where I had an extra thumb on my face that was oozing down into my mouth. And I had all these stitches and puffy face. And I usually had a mask on when I opened the door, but I was forgot. And I was like, Oh, Oh no, Heather! I don't want you to see my skin yeah, grafts. You, like, you kept apologizing. But I was you were. So, You're like, I'm sorry. I'm it, sorry. It was, <laughs> it's so gross. Like to have an extra flap of skin from your nose to, I mean, from your cheek to your nose. It looked like a thumb. But I mean, again, perspective. Because you're like, oh girl, that is not going to bother me. And then you just, you just pulled your shirt up. Did I? Yeah. Oh, okay. And you said, look, oh, look. But yeah, you yeah. really saw that I was uncomfortable. Like I was mortified, obviously. I was this, it was so gross to me. It's, ah, I don't want people to see this. And then you're just like, oh, come on. And you just show me. Oh, not that Here we were, you go. You were yeah. <laughs> but it was, I'm, I mean, it I was, was trying to be, I wasn't trying to be competitive. But I was no, to be that wasn't a competitive. Empathetic? Was that a little too much? No, it, <laughs> no, it was perfect. And I may post a picture of my face because even though I've not been real face identified because I've always had a little bit of a disfigurement in my face. I have this lazy eye and I have this tomboy face and I've never been like, you know, beauty queen. I haven't had that like identity, but I've, but it, this was another level for me. So it did help me. Well, it's on your it face. You can't me. hide it too. That's the thing. Well, like, well, I did. I did wear a surgical mask, oh, you did. but I will say I no, I knew it was from kindness. It wasn't about competitiveness at all. But basically you're telling me don't worry about it. I've seen a lot. And you pulled you just showed me and I did forget all about my face. And I was like, Oh, Heather. And then it was just amazing to me that you survived that and that you have written this book and that you have gone around and talked about it. So I know we were, you, you, you had the surgery and I know it's a long rehab journey because during that rehab time, I mean, you went through so much, so much. And I don't know how much did you want to go I was in in ICU for five days and basically, um, every day they were taking a tube out. So that was positive, right? So they, I was intubated. They pulled that tube out, my pulmonary tube, my IVs, my, Oh, what else did I have? Oh, my feeding tubes. I had one in my intestine, one in my stomach. They put a sheet over the mirror in the bathroom, you know, 
the nurse would have to help me go to the bathroom because I was plugged into so many things. Yeah. She'd have to unplug me. And then I'm still plugged into a bunch of things. And then I pass in the mirror and they're like, oh no, you don't want to see. Oh. So, um, and finally, like the day I was transferring from, I think the ICU to the main floor, um, they took the mirror down and showed me and I had this huge like cantaloupe shaped like ball right on, um, oh, it's actually on the right. Yeah. On, on my neck. Like I didn't have a neck. I didn't have a neck and it was protruding and I had stitches and the stitches were like all stretched and my skin was all shiny from the, from just being stretched from so the, much and the swelling <laughs> and yeah. the swelling. It was just so ugly. And I just remember asking them, I'm like, is this going to go down? is this going to go away? And they just looked at me like they were not encouraging me that this was all going to go away. And I had a big hunchback too, hunchback and this thing, cause I had all these injuries in, on my back. So I was looking like the hunchback of Notre Dame. Yeah. Quasimodo. That could be funnier. The whole, it's more of like a bride of Frankenstein. Now that's funny. Oh, bride of Frank. I was more like the bride of Frankenstein. Yeah. All the, the paleness, the frizzy, matted hair oh with the blood in it with the blood yeah, <laughs> yeah. when you get that streaks. when you get that i see you hairdo and the staples staples oh. are not attractive you, you know, have staples staples, in staples. yeah they don't sew you up they don't go oh no. here let's they're do just like treat. no they're like pop, 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 pop. yeah and then you get the railroad track scars you know no <laughs> yeah they didn't reassure they, you no wow. they're like you're really shrugging their shoulders. I like, I know. I wish I, we need to get a cartoonist. Ugh. That'd be good to get a cartoonist to do some of these drawings. <sighs> Maybe we could put that on the podcast. I'm going to see if I can find one. I think that'd be cool. Have the Bride of Frankenstein and you saying, is this going to get better? And them going, eh, we don't know. <laughs> you may, and then, you know, it's like uh, Quasimodo and, the, and Frankenstein had a baby. And <gasps> there I was. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And look at you now. Look at me now. A darling. They just sort of shrugged their shoulders. You're having to process that. And this was better than what it was. I, I guess my face was like, I didn't have a face. I was so swollen. Like, you um, couldn't see they the don't features. show that on TV on these no. hospital channels. No, I, this per, I'm like, that person's looking pretty good. <laughs> that's a, you know, I'm talking about TV shows. No, I know. Not, it, yeah, yeah. Fake, fake, fake like, stuff. I mean, like, as a, as uh, someone who uh, did, has worked in a hospital or yeah, you're right. It's so, yeah, you can't even focus on the show if they're going to, they have people looking all like they still probably they have on still, mascara. Yeah, they have their makeup they, on. Yeah, they have their makeup on. They look all great just with like one tube. <laughs> it's one of the things that uh, nurses love to laugh at too are all the med air. Like, the, you know, they might have a an IV drip chamber plugging the wrong end into the arm. Yeah. Or I've seen where one show they used, uh, it was almost like those scrubby things that you use for a bathtub that looks like a tiny iron, but they're like oh, scrub yeah. brushes, but they've used those for the clear. Oh, no. <laughs> for the, oh, that's funny. The, the foot paddles. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> anyway, yeah. it's fun to catch med airs. Yeah. That I don't know. Maybe that, I don't know if that takes you, like if you're watching a show, it's probably better that they don't have it realistic, but do you get a little laugh out of it or do you just roll your eyes and like, oh God, this is, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm just like going, um, Yeah. You're like, yeah, no, not real. But, you know, every once in a while you'll see a movie or something that is real. Like the sounds are real. 
or they're like saving private Ryan. There's a moment in saving private Ryan that I, I can't, I can't listen to it or hear it or hear it's when the medic, um, gets shot and he's laying there and, um, the gurgling and the, uh, and he's too real. He needs, yeah. Somebody, they had a technical director that yeah, actually had been to war. Really good. And then like, uh, there's a brave heart scene. You hear these, bl- oh yeah, that's another one for me. But, um, so there are some realistic parts of movies. So what when, do you do when you, so this is going to the tromedy part and I don't know that you do comedy with it or how do you cope when, if something like that, cause you get blindsided by a trigger like that. Maybe you didn't know you're watching Braveheart and all of a sudden it's like, oh no, I know that sound of a knife going into a human body. And it's just to like, it's take you back and you get triggered. What do you do? How do you take care of yourself when that happens, when you get blindsided? my ears and close my eyes. You do? (laughs) Yes. And then then I go, no, 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 no. Like I can't watch it. I can't. um, And then how do you reset? How do you get out of the trigger? Like once that fight, flight, freeze Fine. Yeah, I, it, 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 my body becomes tense. I just have to breathe. Um, but um, but those are real. It's real. I've for me, it didn't trigger something that put me in some type of uh, a state of mind where I I think I'm in trouble. Okay, so you you managed to kind of cut yeah, it off. I can't. And- I can't watch even to to this day. I wouldn't. I wouldn't watch it. No, so just it's too- just like I can't. No, I just can't. Don't need it. I still don't. Mean, I can okay. tell when something's going to happen. I shut my, I do that same thing. What if anything comes to your mind when you think about something that helped you in some of those really early recovery? I was happy to be alive. So you focused on the gratitude. Yeah, I was actually very happy in the emergency or the the ICU and the you know the hospital and talking to the doctors and um, I think I surprised them based on the trauma. You know, they're all like, why is she talking? And she's laughing and like trying to make a joke or. <laughs> do you, you remember know. any joke or do you remember? I don't any, remember a joke, but. Or, or like, anything that came to your mind that kind of was amusing. Well, what was amusing was they were taking the pulmonary balloon out of my neck and they're literally five doctors and their faces are all within a foot of mine. I mean, they're leaning over me because it's right on my neck and they're all leaning over and they're. One person was in charge of pulling it out, right? And and he's slowly pulling out the balloon catheter. And then all of a sudden it comes out and they all start like looking at each other with this, <laughs> with their eyes real big and going, you can tell, oh shit, what happened? Right? Something's wrong. Uh-oh. And I'm like, okay, what's wrong? What's wrong? And yeah. literally I'm asking what happened? Like, and they're just, and they have nothing to say. And, and I think they were just sort of waiting to see if I flatlined or something (laughs) because the balloon, the little rubber balloon that's at the end of the catheter was gone. Like it broke off. Oh, it tore off. They could tell it tore off, you know, like a balloon explodes. Yeah. yeah, Like it rotted away or something. So yeah. So they were like afraid they did something wrong, you know, but it was all a big guessing game. That was the thing. And they're just... You know, um, another one was like when my girlfriend's like, oh, one of the doctors is really cute, Heather. And I'm like, what? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah. She's like, oh, this, you know, take advantage. Of it. I'm like, no, no, this might not be the right place and time kind of thing. But <laughs> what are you doing after the surgery? Doc? Yeah, doc. Um, so, yeah, little things like that. And then um, so I was in the ice. 
yeah, ICU for five days and then on the main floor for two days, didn't want to be there, hated it. It was too out of control, too many people, too many sounds, too much, too much stimulus and stimuli that is just going at you. And I was not comfortable. So I begged and begged and pleaded with the doctors to let me go. And they finally let me go. I can't believe you went home after just a week, seven nights, eight days. That's incredible. That's incredible that you were able to go home. They didn't think I'd live. And And then then I'm walking out. Yeah. You were walking. Well, oh. yeah, they were wheeling me, but I, but yeah. I mean, you could have walked. walked. I mean, they make yeah. you, they wheel you out as a protocol yeah. <laughs> as so, a liability risk, but, but yeah. you could have, you walked, you got home and you, you. I got you home. My a- mom took care of me for two months. She did everything for me. I mean, she had to feed me, bathe me, cha- help me change my clothes. And she had to nurse my wounds um, because with stab wounds, uh, they keep them open. So that and, they will and drain. They'll put, yeah, yeah, gauze. They clean it out with, you know, all that stuff. I'm sorry, I don't need to get into that, but it was three, four major stab wounds that my mom had have to clean and change the bandages three days, three times a day. So she, she was with me 24 seven. And I had a lot of visitors, a lot of friends, family, a minister from our church, um, and uh, people from my mom's uh, business. Um, she took, two months off of work to take care of me. So wow. this was like a financial burden to her. Yeah. So people from her work would come in, bring food, blood people bringing food. They'd clean the house for and do really nice stuff. So I saw this community, huge community come and help me. And I got letters, I got calls, I got, uh, people were donating money to buy me a dog, which she ended up being my partner forever. And that's another story that we could talk about her for an hour. Yes. (laughs) She was your emotional support dog and protector. Correct. She was trained. So yeah, she was trained for protection. She would attack if I asked. Yeah. So I had to wait about a month uh, to get her because I wasn't strong enough to hold her or to anything. So, um, but she did end up going and staying with me and my mom and she um, helped with a certain level of um, calmness, like so I could sleep and felt more comfortable with her there. You could have some sense she, of yeah. safety. Yeah. And she well, bought well, it with me right away. What, so. What's her name? Heidi. 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 She was. Give, send some love out to Heidi. Yeah, loved Heidi. I am, uh, you know me, I'm a believer in guardian angels. I'm sure she's yeah. still one of your guardian angels. Yes, she is. Yeah. She's, yeah. I have to, I should write a book about her actually. Yeah. I did, that'll I need be to your next book. She was phenomenal. Oh, that'll be your She's next like a book. dog that sh- there should be a movie about. I just got a goosebump. I yeah. think you might do this, oh, Heather. I need to. Oh, I need to. I, I just, keep talking about it. Oh. I'm like, because it would be a totally different story from her point of view. <laughs> I have, you know, that's so funny. I would, yeah, that would be cool to hear the point of view of Heidi. Yeah, she was but a badass. She, yeah. And, and what a comfort to you and allowed you, like you said, to get some sleep when you did end up being on your own and we'll get to uh, post-traumatic growth, which I learned about from your book. And now it's like such a thing. I know. So you were on the, I don't want to say the, cutting, I, know, I was going to say the cutting the, edge. I'm always ahead of my time. That sucks. Cause it's like, <laughs> I mean, I was, I feel like, low. No, I, <laughs> I yeah. I'm, I wish I would have, well, I don't know if I wish I would have found out about it, but when I did find out about it, it explained a lot. Yeah. And I, cause I never felt like I was, 
unusual or I never, but I, I didn't quite understand how people, how troubling it was that people wanted to keep me in a box and keep me a victim for for the rest of my life. Yeah. And that's not where I wanted and that's to be. Not, nope. and, and that's not I what mean, this is about. Yeah. It was, I take everything serious. What happened to me? I was fortunate that they found the guy. He was found accountable, but that's another huge story. And, we don't have to get into right and now. And that is a reason to, to that's, read your book. And I love, part. one thing I love about your book too, is that you do not make it about him when we it's don't, about him. we never learn his name. And I, I love that. I'd love to see more of that and that you're the one that is highlighted. And yes, you were victimized by a predator. And we, you know, there's a whole nother story around that, but that does not box you into that victim role that you have to stay in that role and that you are empowered and you're a whole person. Yeah. Then there's certain decisions you make as a part of the growth that um, I find others have made, you know, post-trauma that are similar to mine. And everybody's own decision. Not everybody's al- exactly alike, but there are some commonalities about what people do after a trauma and, and what they do to move forward and move forward with life. It's just, it's not that it's not there anymore. It's just, wait a minute. I want more. I survived for a reason. I want more. I want to honor. I wanted to honor my struggle that night that I, really, really worked hard to survive. Yes. Right. Yeah. So why would I dishonor that and not try to find some kind of new, new life, renewed life, uh, as a result. So one of the things I did from the very beginning, uh, is tell my story. Um, I started telling my story like two, three days after the incident, when the police officers showed up to ask me about that night. And I recounted all the details that I could to, and give them. And you had amazing memory. They were very impressed. That's one of the reasons that. Well, like I was very aware and conscious, like you um, have a keen observation and I have a, yeah. And so I, I was able to um, do that. And then also, I uh, was fortunate that shortly after my attack, I went to go see a doctor I had seen before, a psychiatrist, to help me when I was an athlete in college with an eating disorder. So I was able to work with her, which she already knew who I was. So sort of like, actually, that was a bonus for me. I was very fortunate that she knew who I was. So I didn't have to say who you I was. You had a baseline. I didn't have to, I didn't she have knew to, your baseline. She knew you before. Yeah. And you... That's another beautiful yeah, uh, silver very, lining is right. that I have been around with treatment of people with eating disorders and it's just very hard to treat. And you were cured by this incident of your oh, yeah. eating disorder I was like still, that. Yeah, I still had the eating disorder and not until after I got attacked did it, did but, it go away. Like my need to punish myself. You, I was punishing myself for years and years. I mean, more than a decade. And before um, this attack, before the attack, but after and, it, you were done. Yeah. You know, I, to- I didn't have the energy for it. <laughs> it's like, it takes a lot of energy, you know, but it you- takes a lot of work to punish yourself. Right. And so I just, um, I, yeah, I became cured. I I'm sure there was a rewiring of my brain after the trauma, which might help explain it too. Um, that I was fortunate enough to overcome that. 
I don't recommend it as a therapy. <laughs> we're session, not, but uh, yes, <laughs> as a disclaimer on the Traumedy podcast, we are not recommending being attacked by a serial killer right. to, cur- to cure yourself of uh, eating disorder. But you know what I tapped into, and I think you alluded to it earlier when you're in the ambulance and you started, and who knows if that was the light in the ambulance or the light, the white light. It could have been. It could have been. Well, I trust your gut when you first thought like open your eyes and get back into this body right now. So I'm thinking you really got in touch with how much you wanted to live Mm -hmm. and the eating disorder, like you said, was a form of self-punishment and maybe kind of self-destructive. And it's like no part of you wanted to destroy yourself ever again. Like, well, yeah, it was, it was a true test. It was like, Ooh, wait a minute. Oh, it was like, I was, Oh, I do want to live. Right. It was like a, it was an eye opener for me. And so that was part of my thing of trying to move forward was trying to honor the fact that I tried so hard that night to survive and why uh, be a victim for the rest of my life. I mean, I had to go through a lot. I mean, it took years. It's not like this happened overnight. No, and, oh, I'm cured. And no, like, oh, it's, it's, it was hard. There are tears. I lost friendships. I lost a community really. Cause, um, I was a victim in that community and, and I was treated differently. And they, I still find people treat me different people from my pre Heather <laughs> before the attack, they'll treat me differently, especially if they haven't been around me or don't know much mm-hmm. about what I've been through um, because they still think I'm that victim and they, they haven't left that night. I've, yeah, so much. It's sort of like they're stuck there and it's not that they're stuck. It's just, that's their last interaction with me. So they still think that's where I am and it's difficult for them. In the, and there was the piece that they could not make peace with the, with this being a, either a random attack or, and that's subjective, but that something that could happen to them, they had to make you different. Like, right. oh, that wouldn't happen no, to no, me. It's because- wrong with Heather. Uh, yeah, or or yeah. that they do the victim blaming thing of like, oh, well, she- She shouldn't have been there. She shouldn't have agreed to meet him. She shouldn't be out in front of her house be, but that's at a way seven of, o'clock at night. That's kind <laughs> of a way of them getting out of their own- sense of powerlessness like people don't want to feel that sense of powerlessness like oh that wouldn't happen to me so they let's keep heather in that in that box and then i'm the that's that othering thing that people do and to not put blame on them for not being in my life anymore i became a different person i was well an athlete i was a lot of these friends we were playing volleyball we were skiing we were we were active we were mountain biking we were active. And then I can barely walk around the park without getting winded or my neck killing me. And that's another thing we didn't talk about is the fact that he did break my neck. So I walked around for two years with a broken neck. I couldn't ride my bike because I couldn't hold my head up. I couldn't, walking was extremely painful. So I went from doing all these activities and that's what my world revolved around was sports, playing volleyball, all these things to not doing any of it. And those friendships were a part of it. So that community, that's why I say that community I lost. Right. And so I became isolated in a way, but I did have a a great family. um, People that chose to not treat me too much differently. I don't know if that's good or bad. <laughs> My dad saying, you need to get back to work, you know, three weeks after. Well, yeah, attacked. he kind of, the pet, he kind of was on the other end weeks. of, oh, yeah, he was six weeks but after I got attacked. It, 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 yeah. Which I'm, I'm yeah. holding my head up. Can, 
barely walk, but um, that could work. <laughs> yeah. And it is one of those like two sides of that coin, but you have a lot of grit. And I mean, I'm sure you can thank your dad for some of that, but it's also well, like bills to pay. Yeah. Right? But, but it, yeah, I know that's, you are amazing that you did that. You were, you did, but see all that too, with that, the way you were an athlete and you just, you kind of went through pain. You all, you obviously oh, yeah. had learned how to manage pain, maybe to the extreme. Well, we only have a few minutes left, Heather. Okay. So, so what would you like to share? Is there any, anything well, you want to share that the well, change? I just know that for me in my personal journey is telling my story was important. So I told my story to anybody and everybody that would want to listen. Um, I do try to pick my audience <laughs> or understand my audience oh, a little better. Yeah, right? That was one of the um, funny things you were telling sometimes me. Sometimes I would tell my story like later on in life um, on purpose to repel people <laughs> that I didn't want to be around. <laughs> that bad. That's so bad. That's, um, here's how, here's I'm how, like, hey, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and share because I know that after I share, they will walk away and they won't want to be in my life. It's, it's really sad, but I did it on purpose. I so, love that. I love um, that you can use it to empower yourself. Like, and also, you don't want to be with these people. Honestly, if you can't handle this, maybe, you know, you're, you are in another category now, a person yeah. that has a bandwidth and a capacity to be present, like people that are tuned into traumaty. I know the average person is not going to be interested in this. There's like, this is too intense. But we, if, if we go through a trauma, there's a new... I could say, I call it find my vibe. I'm trying not to do cultural appropriation and say find my tribe. Because with the lows come all these highs. And if they may not have that broad stretch from the highs to the lows. And and telling my story, and I joke about it, I could use it as a tool. <laughs> but also it was it was a way for me to process the whole experience. And I still, even to this day, when I was writing my book... Uh, discovering new things about my whole experience and what I went through and appreciating it a little bit more and, and forgiving myself, right? Like forgiving myself for going out there and meeting this man and allowing this to happen. Cause there's a part of you that blames yourself too, right? So it, there's things like that. There's things, you know, recognizing your strengths and, and also, you know, people going, Oh, well, Heather, you're really unique. And I'm like, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. And I'm finding out I'm not unique. And I was right. I, I'm not alone. Majority of us overcome trauma. You know, they say 70% of us will go through uh, trauma in our life. I think it's probably everybody, right? And the thing is, is that why Why do we look at this as an illness? It's, uh, it's I never looked at post-traumatic stress disorder is serious. It's real. You have to sort of go through that process um, in order to move towards growth. It's all a part of it. It's, it's not like one thing after another. It's just sort of a continuum, right? Yeah. And, and I, I believe that because there were certain things that I did that I didn't realize I can recognize it after I started doing more reading on post-traumatic growth. It's like, wait a minute, I did that. I took a year off after four years of the trauma and the healing and then the criminal justice process and then finding out I had a broken neck and having to get my neck fixed and all this stuff. And then being in a, a relationship that probably wasn't good for me to move forward. 
like making all these decisions, being an, I, uh, and I took a year off. I sold my house in Washington park and I took a year off for quietness, for peacefulness. And I was really fortunate. And I lived with my grandmother with the barley green. The barley green is back. And she, she, um, it was so peaceful. And I decided, uh, to take an inventory of my life, doing things like that. And then I got into a career after a year I got into, I didn't know at the time, but I got into a career that lasted almost 20 years and did real well and was real successful. But, but again, I was telling my story and it doesn't matter who you tell your story to tell somebody or write it down in a journal or find a way, you know, write song lyrics, write poetry, write, do something that helps you get it out. Cause later on, you're going to look back at it and go, Oh yeah, I was feeling that way, but now look where I am today. And, and yeah. it helps with me. I, I told anybody and everybody, but then, you know, I learned that, Maybe I shouldn't tell everybody, but then I, except uh, for the people you want to get rid of. <laughs> you were trying to get like, rid of me that day because it didn't work. No, it didn't. Work. <laughs> I didn't think it was going to work. No, but uh, I, I, I knew I could. I was, yeah, I was revealing myself literally. <laughs> well, I, yeah, and I again, but, I, it can be bond. Yeah, and that's a good sign. Like it could be bonding, or it could be. Yeah. A repellent. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. It gives you a, then it's a nice meter to know yeah. who are you safe with. I love, I want it back to your point. I love what you were saying about express, you know, get it out through whatever form, whether it's comedy like I do, or I also do a lot of drawings or journaling and it's so, yeah. So that it doesn't also, so you don't internalize it. I loved also, I want to just bring back the point of self-forgiveness of really knowing you did your very best with all the information you had and you actually did a fantastic job of trusting your instincts and taking care of yourself and you are living proof, but it's like anybody, whenever anything happens like that, even if, even if we did ignore some of those intuitions, there's another part of us that we were imprinted with that told us to override some of these subtle, this is something I'm coming into is that I have overridden the subtle intuition that now I'm not going to do that anymore because <laughs> no, it yeah. leads to a lot of painful uh, experiences. So I love that you got to self-forgiveness about that and got to self-love and take care of yourself and what yeah, else? and well, the thing is with growth, there's there's definitely a core number of things that um, people do. There's positive changes that happen. And mine was, yeah, you have an increased inner strength, right? You have an openness for new possibilities. I, I started doing things that I never thought I would do, like to actually move to Chicago and start a career in IT and picking up everything and leaving, right? Like that was a big deal for me because I was always a homebody Colorado girl, right? Uh, there's, um, yeah, you can actually, and a lot of the times you can actually have better relationships with people because you have a different empathy. Your empathy characteristic has grown immensely. So you can get, you can really have some really good personal relationships with people and meet people that you never thought you would have things in common with and you can, you can connect. Yeah. Um, and then uh, also um, a better appreciation of life. You know, I was punishing myself and I stopped punishing myself. Um, life still gets complicated. I'm not perfect. <laughs> I've got, you know, you, life happens and you still are challenged and you sort of have to, 
you know, reflect back and go, okay, how did I get through that? And I need to get through this. And, you know, you started, sometimes you start out at square one going, okay, all right, go start talking to people about this. And I need to, I need to forgive myself. I need to find a place. I need to find a place where I can have some peace. And so you can apply apply all the things that you learned to current stresses and current traumas, if there are any. Right. Yeah. And, um, and then, you know, a lot of times people have a higher sense of spirituality, whatever that is. And I tend to, with me is, is my thing is all about will, you know, the will to live and the will you can get through things. If you can tap into that, will. it's powerful. And mm. whoever gave that to you, God, you're being human. Um, it's, it's a powerful spiritual tool. I love that concept of tapping into the will to live. That's beautiful. I'm going to tap into that right now. (laughs) I know currently one of the things that you had shared with me was that you like, I mean, you like sharing your story. It's nice to have, to share it on your own terms Mm -hmm. and not to have to share it. You've shared that like, Oh, I haven't had a massage in a long time because I'm tired of having to explain, explain all, my, all the, mm-hmm. all the scars. Right. And we had, I didn't know if we were, I, we tried to joke about this a little bit. Cause I said, well, it is funny. I was like, one of my funny things is that when I go to a doctor or a therapist or something, then I have to write a list of all the operations I've had. And, oh. and then I write a bunch down and then, you know, you're reviewing them with your doctor and they're like, Oh, well, what about this? Oh, I see this guy. Oh yeah. 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 That happened too. Oh yeah. That happened too. And the doctor's just sort of like shocked and it like my list is huge. And sometimes I just, Oh, like now I'm like, Oh, I just don't. And, and also I don't want to add something to the list. <laughs> I don't, yeah. I don't want to know that I need to go get I need to have hip surgery. I know it. So and, you're, you're, you're and being I'm a little like, avoidant. Oh, there you go. There's another surgery I haven't had, you know, just added <sighs> to the list. So yeah, but it, it is sort of funny, you know, when you're going and it, it, but then again, there is this part of me, it, it's like I have to be in the right frame of mind. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I laugh about it. I need to laugh about it. Cause I know, know, I know one like thing that came to my mind was you could make up stories to make, to kind of play it, make a game out of it in a way, just to see if people would stop asking. Like if you went to get a massage and you're like, okay, rather than tell the truth about yeah. what happened, like a cartoon version or something. And that's where, I don't know, this is where I was like, my my mind went to like, oh, I was doing table dances at Benihana. <laughs> I don't know. I just was trying to think of outrageous, like aliens, you know, something like that. Aliens, aliens would be good. The aliens came down. And you were defending the humans oh, of they, Earth. They took me up for experimentation. Oh, they, they, they did wanna... a scoop and go on me. <laughs> the aliens did a scoop and go, and they took you but up they, to their spaceship. Yeah, they and they wanted they to see me, but they performed experiments. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's why I'm not fond of these aliens. <laughs> I don't really like them. I don't know why I can't stop the barley green accent. I'm still one. I, this why I feel empowered with it somehow. I think accents do distance us. They were Irish aliens. <laughs> Irish aliens. They were green. They were green. the barley green aliens. <laughs> oh, that's great. I love Let's it. Well, make I, it all up. Let's make it all up. Yeah. yeah. It's much better. Don't you think? I mean, but I do wonder if that would help if you did have some shelved stories like, okay, I'll tell you this, but only once. <laughs> and then just get the massage. Like, hey, I have this thing with aliens. They did some experiments. <laughs> it's kind of personal. 
just leave a little tidbit and just like, <gasps> oh God, I would love to see that person's face. I know. You know like I'll pay what? for it. Dude, I tell you what, Heather, I will pay for a massage if you would and do then, that story yeah. and, and have and your voice you, memo on. I can't see the masseuse's face. Yeah. But you've got a camera in the massage room. Is That's kind right. Because you usually idea. start off face down with a, you're in the, my, you got your little face in that little circle thing. <laughs> So how could you, like, can you, could you have your phone, like, just say, I have some attachment issues and then you have it on voice, you have it on video and you just sort of, Hey, I was attacked by aliens. Thank you for this massage. Don't, oh, and I don't like to talk about it. <laughs> it's something I don't like to talk about. <laughs> I'm not allowed to. Ooh, they told oh me not God. to. They told me not. Yeah. They I love Ooh, you got into I that. say it. They told me if I talk about it, they'll take them inside me. We'll explode. <laughs> oh, wow. That's good. Dude, you're a natural, Heather. There you go. I'm, yeah, just get me Give going. it up for Heather, man. Yeah. You're, I didn't know you were so into theater. This is fantastic. So they put something in me that they said, if I talked about it, it would explode. Thanks for the massage. Oh, don't touch too much like, on get the, a, Yeah. She just puts her hands up. I say she. It's mostly... A, I like women giving me massages, not men per per se. Is that really weird? That's weird. No, I think anyway, it's very yeah, healthy. We're done. <laughs> I think we're done. I'm just going to do Reiki from the other room. <laughs> I'm going to just do a Reiki session. I love it. But I, what was the other? Oh, you were saying about being competitive. Is yeah. Did you ever think, did, was there a story about that where you, did you meet another trauma survivor? And that, oh, yeah. you, <laughs> and that I can see like dueling well, banjos being played in the background. Well, I just remember, I remember going back to a high school reunion. Oh my God. And um, I was sort of like the big talk, right? Because I mean, this literally like uh, that year I went to my high school reunion and I started talking to somebody and this girl looks at me and she goes, you're not the only one who's been through things. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, Oh, I know. Would you want to talk about it? But I was thinking it's, it's not a competition. Yeah. And, um, I, but I, and also I have to be careful because I, you know, well here, like you got the thing on your nose. I'm going to show you mine. Yeah. Like well, I don't mean to be, but, um, sometimes it can be a competition and I don't want to feel like, and that's the unfortunate part is that sometimes when people hear mine, they just go, Oh, and I don't want them to think that their trauma is not important, important. Yeah. Or it was not as, it was one of the things I did when I, when shortly after I got attacked is I went through group therapy and I went through group therapy with other people that have been victimized by a crime, right? Like a, a something happened to them. Um, like, uh, one woman was robbed by gunpoint and her husband was a witness to the whole thing. Um, now they physically didn't get harmed. Uh, there was other things too, you know, a mugging, a robbery, all this kind of stuff. And their trauma is just as real as mine. And when you're listening to them and what they're going through with the, the nightmares, the flashbacks, the anxiety, the depression, the sadness, the, um, you know, guilt too, right? The husband didn't do anything. He stood there and, but the thing is, you know, like I'm like, when I'm listening to the story, I'm like, well, you saved your wife's life because you didn't move because guy right. was holding a gun, Yeah, but he's here feeling responsible for his wife. Right. And so, and, and like my neighbor felt guilty that she didn't go out there with me. Right. Like it was her fault. That the, and I'm like, so, and she went through just as much of a trauma as I did. And hers is just as real. 
and it's hard. Like when you have somebody like me that, yeah, you've got the physical part. So it must be more, more. It's like, no, it's all the same. When you do share your story, a lot of people do bring up their traumas and it opens the door for them to talk about their stuff. And I don't compete with that stuff. Yeah. It's a, it it, it is funny. It's funny, but it's also a safe place. Like it makes it like, okay, I, this, this woman can handle, you know, I don't have to, I don't have to be in the closet with her. If I need to process something to know that you can, you can thrive after the most serious event, all that you've been through and how much of a shining bright light you are. So thank you again. Let's do this again next year. (laughs) (laughs) Tune in again next year when we re-record. We went over our hour. When I find out, like I'm looking at- Now what do you have to cut? I'm looking at the, well, I I, probably everything I said, I'll cut. Do we need to do another parasympathetic reset? Maybe, maybe, yes. Another deep breath. Let's do that. Let's get back to rest and digest. In for four, hold for four, exhale for four. Okay, everybody, love yourselves. Laugh at your pain when you can, when you're ready. Peace and love. Thanks for listening to the Traumedy Podcast. I want to give a special thanks to Heather Callahan for inspiring this. I want to give a special thanks to my son, Nathaniel Norton, for composing some of the music. This podcast is dedicated to you, the listener. Everyone has some trauma. Some of us are feeling stuck. This is for people who may be isolated with trauma, who need a little help getting through it some days. This is collaborative learning. We're all learning from each other here. Do you need to process some trauma? Do you have something to share that has helped you cope with trauma between your trauma therapy sessions? Share it with me. I'm Nancy Norton. You can find my website, nancynorton.tv. That's nancynorton.tv, like television. And you can look for the Traumedy Facebook page, T-R-O-M-E-D-Y, Traumedy, T-R-O-M-E-D-Y. 